0: You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in. And welcome. You found Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz
1: on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. And while I am an attorney, the show is not legal advice. Instead, Buzz Off is a weekly look at all of the technology and buzz surrounding autonomous vehicles, internet of things, drones, and everything else in between. So welcome to those who are listening in, and thank you for joining us. And if, when I've been hearing the news, of course, we highlighted a couple weeks ago the San Francisco uh, Muni system was the victim of ransomware and Dan came on the show and explained to us a little bit about that and some other issues with drones. And in the meantime, everyone has broken out their crystal balls and made predictions for 2017. That now that all of our devices are even more so connected than perhaps the year before, that by connecting everything together, that it opens up different and increases the number of attack vectors for problems or surfaces for uh, nefarious hackers or bored hackers or really glitches and stuff to go wrong. So where San Francisco did not pay the ransom to the hackers, what happens when your devices and your data are held hostage and do you pay do you not how do you prevent this from happening because when we're talking about you know your coffee maker suddenly being locked up that's one thing but when a university uh, their records their systems is held hostage or a hospital devices are suddenly locked and in order to unlock the very important health data or devices you must pay the ransom well what else happens if you don't pay the ransom or you pay the ransom and they don't provide the keys so in both a bringing in the tech experts As well as a little tease of an upcoming presentation he's giving at a security conference, I've invited information security and risk management advisor, virtual CISO with interdisciplinary skill set, who's able to solve complex business and technical problems. And no, he does not wear a cape, just a spirit hood on occasion. But Gall, welcome to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz.
2: Thank you, Liz. Thank you very much for hosting me. I look forward to our conversation.
1: Well, you know, it. I feel like we can't go on social media, Twitter, or turn on the TV without some dire prediction. I mean, it is January when we're the show is airing and recording, and so everyone has their magic eight ball, uh, crystal balls out and predicting and. What, I mean, is 2017 the year of ransomware, or was that 2016?
2: Well, I think 2017 will be the year of uh, VDI, desktop Linux, and PKI, which is what we've been predicting every year for about the last 10, 15 years. But seriously, uh, ransomware has been around for many years, but in the last two or three years has really picked up. If you look at Google Trends, 2014, 15, and 16 really started getting some some sharp uh, search uh, hits around ransomware and um, uh, its effects and how to get rid of it and how to mitigate it and, and ideally prevent it. Uh, so I think what we'll see is a little bit more of the same in terms of uh, the prevalence of ransomware being uh, targeted towards... Uh, varying platforms, so in the last week, the first week of uh, 2017, we saw a very sharp spike in targeting uh, what uh, the, the server side on, on, the, on the data center, not the people's laptops and desktops, through a browser and email, which is what most people think of as ransomware, that's client side. The server-side ransomware, I think, is uh, uh, started making uh, uh, the rounds uh, mid-late 2015, early 2016, and then started becoming much more prevalent. I think that we are already seeing a spike in server-side ransomware targeted towards exposed databases, specifically uh, NoSQL or big data type databases from MongoDB. And we've seen several tens of thousands I think the last count was almost 30,000 as of uh, midweek of MongoDB databases that were taken over because they were very poorly secured. The data was uh, copied and then deleted. So someone had a copy of your now deleted database and said, hey, if you want it back, give us uh, 0.2 Bitcoins, which these days is about uh, $200 or so. So Pretty good bargain.
1: Exactly. And so let's break it down a little bit because not all of the listeners are as mm-hmm. tech savvy as sure. some of us. Uh, I'm gonna probably fall more in the less tech savvy role. But yeah. when we're talking about so the MongoDB, what exactly is you mentioned, it's not my desktop, it's not my right. you know, ubiquitous coffee maker that's connected to the right. internet, you know, it's not the things in my home. What is it?
2: It's a database. So it's uh, part of the database category called NoSQL, which is a little bit uh, different than the traditional uh, uh, SQL databases that we buy from Microsoft or Oracle. Um, and uh, they started out with uh, Google basically taking snapshots of the entire web every night and then uh, dumping them into a big database. And then they kind of evolved from that. So uh, it's not exactly, uh, uh, it's not a Google property, but it is a a database that's uh, called NoSQL. So the, the regardless, a- any server that is out there, so basically we have servers and clients. Typically your, your phone, your desktop, your laptop have applications that are for human interface. Uh, the Outlook, email client, the browser, uh, various other applications, and uh, you are a client of the server where the data resides and you're interacting and modifying it remotely. So server-side is basically where the data center is, or these days a lot of them are sitting in the cloud somewhere on Amazon, uh, Microsoft Azure, or Google Cloud Platform, or Rackspace, or other places uh, in uh, co-located data centers that people rent out. So the server-side ransomware is a little bit more uh, tricky because uh, desktops, uh, you know, people back things up here and there, Uh, there's some productivity hits, but uh, typically you're your, uh, your payroll server, for example, I had a client uh, in the last couple months that got hit with ransomware on the client side, so they opened an attachment that had a uh, ransomware uh, detonate, and so it uh, took over the laptop but also automatically explored the network because the network wasn't properly secured uh, and found a server with the payroll information and the payroll database and application on it that had a mapped drive and a map drive, if anybody remembers in the 90s, we had these kind of C dollar sign where literally at the network layer, there's a drive that is on the server and it's sitting there and it's shared to the desktops and laptops on the network. Uh, very easy for ransomware these days. It's just hard coded to look for and infect the server as well uh, through the map drive functionality. So what we had is a laptop with a person that clicked uh, something they uh, should not have. Usually it's a fake invoice, a fake resume, things like that.
1: And they're and, usually uh, fairly sophisticated. I mean, it's not like they're, uh, well, I guess sometimes, or no, or- do we do we need to it mock really them a little the bit?
2: Some of them are some of them are just you can tell from a mile away. They're random file names. They're mis, uh, misspelled, misaddressed. The reply to address is clearly not relevant to the place that it, it's spoofing. It's pretending to be your CEO when it's not. Uh, it really runs the gamut. But the, certainly the, the the spectrum of sophistication and uh, effectiveness is is all over the map. And with law of large numbers, uh, even without a very technically sophisticated or uh tailored and targeted uh, attack with specific names and logos <laughs> enough people will click on it that it creates a economic incentive and so i think uh, just to pull back on on why are we seeing ransomware uh now versus uh, uh say 5 years ago mm-hmm. uh, there are so many data breaches a- around confidentiality of data so people take the database over and they take that information and they sell it credit cards, personal health information, uh, personnel files, all things like that. And I think what we are seeing now is the glut of PII and PHI and other types of even financial information that is out there for sale. And so the economics of it just are not as efficient and uh, uh, alluring for the cybercrime ecosystem. So what they're doing is they're saying, we have to spend time and effort and money to do battle with the entire array of uh, of um, uh, getting the data, copying it, staging it for exfiltration, and then exfiltrating it. And once we have it outside of the uh, victim's network control and our control, we now have to do this whole other thing, which is, hey, who wants to buy this and how much money can we make on it? So you're basically fencing stolen property on the black market. And suddenly now, the black is-
1: market is very... Whereas before it may yes. have been I you know, ten people had stalls. Suddenly it's standing room only. I mean I, I joke that every time I receive a breach notification letter I get a, if I was getting a free set of steak knives, I could host a dinner for all of my closest friends.
2: Exactly. 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 We're seeing a glut of, of all this information that has been stolen and in order to steal our information you have to kind of go in low and slow, especially against some of the more well-resourced targets, you have to do the entire uh, uh, cyber crime, uh, you know, what we call kill chain or, or uh, industrial espionage, uh, going after intellectual property. Even if you're very good at stealing things, copying them and then removing them from the victim network, you now have to figure out how do I indirectly monetize this stuff? Right, so the the whole initial idea of of theft copying and exfiltration now you have it in your hands so if you stole a bunch of gold or diamonds uh, that are now or, or paintings you now need to sell them somewhere so you have to be plugged into an ecosystem of, uh, of uh, fencing and money laundering and all that stuff uh, that's whereas, a lot of work <laughs> it is a lot of work for even yeah, after for... the theft yeah. and, and it's becoming less effective and less alluring because economics are going down 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 in terms of price per, per unit if you will So my my thesis, and I think there's a lot of support for this, is that ransomware is a direct monetization of an availability attack as opposed to an indirect monetization via fencing of a confidentiality attack. So we're very focused uh, traditionally in information security around confidentiality and keeping things secret. Uh, More and more, we're seeing that availability attacks uh, are tied into a ransom. We will not... Uh, flood your network with random packets from around the world through you know, these various IoT devices that we've uh, uh, aggregated into a botnet. If you pay us up front, it's like a protection racket. That's not mm-hmm. ransomware per se, it is more like extortion and, and a protection racket. We will not DDoS your site with this very serious fire hose we have on the internet that we've accumulated through uh, a botnet of various uh, IoT or other laptops that we've infected and are now under control. Ransomware is similar to that, but it's much more of a smash and grab, and uh-huh. uh, it is directly: I have your data, I have your network locked up. You can't do business. In some cases, again, payroll or your entire data center gets locked up. Uh, so, it's so the fa- mm-hmm.
1: so the criminals, and we're just, you know, using that, are becoming more sophisticated. They're they're moving beyond smash and grab up the food chain and. We're about to jump to our first commercial break, but when we get back, uh, let's delve into a little more of the evolution of the criminals. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio.
3: 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy, or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
4: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
3: Your auto love and investment demands the best. And for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport.
0: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, coming
1: to you each Wednesday on America's Web Radio. And find us on iTunes. Google Play, Stitcher, and all the rest, Lawyer Liz Podcast, talking with Gall today on malware, malware, but ransomware, that what do you do when your devices and your data are held hostage? And before the break, we were discussing the criminal evolution that our young, enterprising, entrepreneurial uh, kiddos have now evolved. they the data is cheap for a lot of work, want return on investment for time and energy spent. So they're growing up and this is this is the next step, huh?
2: Yeah, they're, uh, we talked to just before the break about how uh, the entire cycle of cybercrime uh, yields the data that they copy from your databases and your desktops, your servers, et cetera. And now they have that information on their end they stole it from you and it's in their possession, they now have to monetize it. And so there's a fencing activity they have to sell it on the black market, or if they're a nation state, they have to somehow strategically uh, gain advantage from it by analyzing you know, all the people who have clearances from OPM or uh, getting uh, some competitive advantage on our weapon systems. But from the cybercrime point of view, the, the hard part for them is to keep making as much money with the same amount of effort because fencing stolen property is now a glut market is, a, is more of a buyer's market than a seller's market because just so much of it. Everybody uh, has received dozens of these breach notifications like you were talking about earlier with the stake knife analogy. Um, so what the cybercrime ecosystem is doing now is saying, we don't need to work as hard to steal stuff and then fence it. What we'll do is, is we'll take over a computer or a network of computers, and we will then tell the person, hey, we have your stuff. If you want it back, give us money. Uh, it's typically in the form of Bitcoin, which is uh, cryptocurrencies. Came out x years ago, and people have to interact with that whole ecosystem, which is it, its own pain and and difficulty and kind of fraught. Uh, most people who are being hit with ransomware are not necessarily the. Uh, it, it's not necessarily the most sophisticated malware campaigns, and the, the the people who are getting hit with this don't have necessarily access to ready Bitcoin. So it takes. Uh, a certain amount of time to acquire even the payment after you've decided to pay, uh, which is its own uh, kind of uh, moral and legal uh, issues. Uh, my understanding, again, not a lawyer, uh, is that nobody has ever been charged or prosecuted for paying a ransom. In fact, there have been government entities that have paid ransoms, utilities, prosecutors' offices in New York, et cetera. But there are people who are moralizing about, well, we shouldn't encourage cyber criminals by paying them. I generally agree that we should strive to prevent and mitigate the impact of malware and specifically ransomware. But what I think is a little bit annoying and kind of uh, uh, moralizing from afar is that if your small business is going to miss making payroll and miss their service level agreements to their customers because someone took over their uh, database that houses their payroll server, uh, their server that houses the payroll database, or or anything like that that is a critical business function. I I believe that in the absence of proper full backups that would be restored on time, you know, in some cases, when there's uh, some confidence and uh, a proof of life, if you will, that they're able to decrypt your stuff, then payment is an option that I encourage people to look into. Uh, Nobody wants to finance criminals. Nobody wants to participate in this terrible ecosystem of cybercrime, but I'm not the person who's going to be Uh, moralizing uh, about someone who's trying to save their business
1: well exactly uh, i mean it's it's we're not talking about sophisticated attackers going after sophisticated targets if i'm a small business owner or a rural community hospital and i receive you know somebody received an email that had an attachment that looked close enough for you know horseshoes and hand grenades that without knowing any better, I click on it, I open it suddenly it's in the system. And now I'm having to Google what Bitcoin is and how I get some. And as you mentioned, I don't have days to say, Oh, well, I don't know when your appointment is. I don't know when your medication will be available. I don't know. It can't run payroll. So, You have raised the alarm, certainly on, raising these points on social media, that it is. What happens when you have to go look at your employees and say, I'd love to pay you, but our data is locked and I can't access it? How do you find, I mean, with the small business owners or individuals who don't know what Bitcoin is. It, yeah. is. Is it a Google search? Are there resources set up? I mean, being Alexa, are, uh, what is
2: Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah, B- Bitcoin uh, is, uh, again, this cryptocurrency that is uh, theoretically anonymous. Uh, it's not as anonymous as people think or would like to think it is. There are all kinds of ways to uh, peel back the, the layers on, on the financial ecosystem around cryptocurrency, but the uh, vast majority of ransomware is, is uh, the ransom demand is in bitcoins. And, and how Bitcoin do these demands
1: been, arrive? I mean...
2: They arrive uh, once the computer is taken over, they typically drop a little HTML file, so it looks like a little website that pops up and takes over your screen and says, we have your data, sorry about that. Uh, here is your client number. Again, this is a business. They want to get paid. <laughs> here is so your invoice number. You, yeah, they give they give you a customer number. They give you a uh, amount in Bitcoin. They give you an email to talk to, and they give you a uh, essentially a uh, ability to interact with them. Sometimes for negotiations. Sometimes to make sure that they can decrypt uh, a sample of your files to show that they. Can actually physically decrypt it, or where well, this is software that's taking over a computer that is uh, has not been tested on necessarily. There's not a lot of QA involved in all of these things, and so in some cases, even if you pay and they uh, want to release your data back, uh, the software fails. So, uh, what in an is ideal the return world, policy
1: yeah? on? I paid the ransom. Uh, you know, I. It's not exactly Mel Gibson on TV with the mountains of money in front right. of the camera. I mean, I, I've paid the ransom. I, I What happens? Do they have a customer service number that I call?
2: You email them. In, in many cases, you email them a, uh, a the, the payment in Bitcoin, and then they get you uh, your uh, decryption keys, and uh, you're able to restore your information. Again, if it's not a scam pretending to be ransomware, and it's not ransomware that has uh, failed to be um, quality checked for uh, of the ability to actually decrypt the information. Um, so the, the encryption is, is, it's easy to encrypt stuff, it's hard to decrypt stuff, right? And, and it's kind of the, uh, in, in information security when we want to encrypt things, the really, what we're really worried about is uh, how easy is it for us to set ourselves up for denying ourselves our own data if we can't get to the point where we have the right keys and passphrases and so on and the proper software to decrypt it. Uh, and and that's with professionally made software that is purchased and supported and tested and that still goes wrong in some cases. So with this, it's this kind of V-C2 carpet bombing uh, where in some cases it won't work. Now let's maybe go back to a little bit of prevention on the consumer side again this stuff doesn't materialize in your endpoint like captain kirk kind of beaming down from the enterprise right mm-hmm. there's these threat vectors we call it and they're mainly browser and email in some cases it's network or removal media like a usb key that you picked up in the parking lot or from your, your uncle bob that uh, had some viruses on it and now your computer has it so the main threat vectors that uh, i'm concerned about and i think most people are concerned about are the browser um, get away from old browsers, Uh, my recommendation for certainly consumers and small businesses and large businesses actually is go to um, something like Google Chrome, uh, remove Flash, uh, update it, and it actually allows all the little plugins that are very vulnerable like Flash and PDF readers to update inside the Chrome browser. They're a very aggressive bug bounty and uh, vulnerability management program, and so they update Chrome very uh, regularly. Uh, One of the problems that uh, you have with a browser, unlike the email and USB, is that you can be aware of phishing and uh, drops of USB keys in the parking lot or in the hallways and just not plug them in and not click them. But with a browser, there is a lot of zero interaction malware that's happening. All you have to do is go and uh, have uh, be on a legitimate website not kind of the, the uh, bad parts of the Internet, quote-unquote. So I'm not on the, the deep,
1: dark web. Right. I'm just, just... just
2: watching. 2014, there's, uh, the bad guys hit Forbes.com, and they had ads uh, that were uh, little poison pills, and they uh, went in through the browser and uh, got the laptops that were just going to Forbes. And they know that the enterprise uh, folks that do all the uh, classification of websites in terms of... Uh, uh, HR issues and uh, things like that. They're not going to block Forbes. It's a legitimate site where business people go to uh, read news. And so it's a great place to park your malware on it. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do things even as a consumer. Get an ad blocker, update your browser and all the plugins. easiest to do with Chrome, disable Flash if at all possible, and uh, update your operating system as well. Now, these are things that are... Uh, things that are kind of hygiene in some places but it actually makes a difference well it Uh, it
1: it sounds like it's kind of the central theme of pay attention keep up to date on you know should i set automatic updates on my home laptop or are some of the risks there to where i should still do it manually
2: I, i would recommend it really depends on your level of understanding of your operating system and how to patch things, I'm mostly working with uh, some enterprise teams and where we're working there is, and we can scale that down to even a family or a small business, is that you have to look at um, what is the risk reward. If you have no ability to snapshot or back up uh, your data or restore your data, then even without ransomware, uh, it could be a power surge, could be some other natural hazard, uh, a glass of water t- tipping over, and then you have a fried computer. So you know, the ability to recover your data is very critical, whether from malice like ransomware or just a hazard that is an accident or statistical likelihood of a disk failure or power search. So we want to uh, scale it uh, up and down from a family to a very large business. And don't think that very large businesses don't get affected by this. We had in the D.C. area a $10 billion a year revenue healthcare conglomerate called MedStar Health they were down, from what I understand, for four to five weeks. If not down, then at least very under-automated. And, uh, my understanding is it had, uh, server-side ransomware. Uh, so the, the larger picture is, in, in many cases, the ransomware will actually be hard-coded or manually, depending on who's doing this, target your backup infrastructure. So we, when we we'll talk about backups, if you have a USB drive or if you have, uh, some other program that does things in backup, every once in a while take that copy, download it to a, to a disk and stick it in the safe or, or give it to your bank for a, uh, for safekeeping because the offline copy is where the ransomware cannot access it. And the backup systems themselves are part of the target because they know that people in some cases do backups but if all you're doing is just having another USB just drive... Just saving it there,
1: somewhere else, yeah.
2: You have, you have to take it offline and put it somewhere where it's not connected physically through a cable or uh, through the network because they will target that, whether hard-coded well, through the program to automatically search for it or actually manually try and look for it, typically on a server side. Uh, and of, uh, those action. sorts
1: of hygiene and redundancies are important. We'll pick them up right back after this
0: break on America's Web Radio. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993
4: today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
2: on Kindle or paperback through amazon.com.
4: You're listening to americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. And before the break and on the show today, we're talking about ransomware. So, hackers, nefarious individuals uh, have compromised, taken over, locked away, and are holding hostage your data, your devices, and for a small fee, or in some cases, not so small fee, they will return access to what is yours and what they've taken. And with my guest today, Gull, we're really reviewing how it's become a, a business enterprise. I mean, I'm... I'm envisioning call centers where you know you have your customer number and you know, hello, you've reached malware are you know, malware are us. Uh, what's your customer number? Please hold. You know, it, really, uh, press one for English, two for Spanish, three for. You know, has it really become that uh, smooth well, they, of a they system? They
2: definitely want their money. And Mm -hmm. what they're looking for is a payment. And the ones that actually are capable of and will decrypt your data for you after a payment uh, are the ones that are uh, kind of become professionalized and their ability to help uh, random uh, non-technical computer users get to the point where they can get their stuff back. Uh, Where you see interesting things lately is that there are folks who are jumping on the bandwagon with their own variants and, uh, and are rushing through the the QA process and are failing to be able to uh, decrypt the data, and in some cases they don't really care. They just want the money, and it's a quick hit. And their reputational cachet is not important to them. Exactly, there is not, no
1: pride uh, right. in amongst, or no honor amongst thieves these days.
2: Right, and so in, in the cybercrime uh, research ecosystem, uh, there are folks who, uh, almost like an eBay reputational score, uh, doing business with X, Y, and Z people is, uh, you're probably going to get your data back, whereas with ABC, uh, it's, a, it's just a scam, right? So uh, it really just depends. Uh, the, 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 the other, uh, we talked about threat vectors in terms of uh, the browser, uh, email incoming links and attachments, uh, USB keys. Uh, the, the other one, in terms of a cybercrime ecosystem, there's we've seen uh, quite a bit in the last couple of years is these tech support scams, where people call you, and they know enough about you from basically uh, triaging your data on open source and looking at your um, your browser because they have a little bit of a web bug on a website that you're visiting, and then they uh, pop up a, um, a website on your machine, and sometimes they blare uh... loud noises and have little siren things going on your on your screen and they tell you to call them and they pretend to be helpful uh... whether they're from microsoft or some other support company that works with microsoft and they're going to help you get rid of the virus or they're going to help you find a uh, program that scans it so that is where they start telling you well, if you pay us two hundred dollars we'll keep your computer clean or we'll, they're, they're pretending to be helpful uh, more recently uh, these guys have been able to social engineer uh, endpoint users into installing malware that is actually ransomware and so they're nice to you up until the point where they've seen that their malware has been deployed and now they have you and now they're no more than mr. nice guy well we don't need to keep you on the phone just uh, do what we say and give us Bitcoin at this address so that's the the th- that's also starting to, to show up is in the um, the tech support scams are, are starting to uh, install ransomware instead of just you know uh, other malware and, and kind of fake tech support uh, information. And bring it back to um, mitigation and prevention at the, at the kind of larger uh, business and enterprise level. The main thing that we need to look at is as we're going through and securing the the servers and the um, perimeter uh, presence on your on your websites and the uh, laptops and desktops that are interacting with the browsers and USB keys and, and email and phone, we must assume that, again, law of numbers, you have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people, somebody will get infected. And that's okay. What's not okay is for one laptop to catch fire with ransomware and have that spread to your entire local area network with all of your other laptops and desktops, right? That is not acceptable. Another unacceptable risk is where you have a client catching fire like a laptop, and then we have back to what we talked about earlier, the MAP drive with the payroll system on it. That is not acceptable. Another thing that's not acceptable is if one of your web-facing servers is infected, then it is allowed to become a pivot point to every other data center server uh, there on that network, including your backup systems. And that's when you have a real catastrophe on your hands. And, and that has happened many times over in the last couple of years. It's really taking off. The server-side stuff where they go after your data center is typically a little bit less uh, of a carpet bombing and a little bit more manual, traditional hacking. And what they're doing is they're going in, they're catching a server on the on the perimeter. They're using that as a pivot point. They're creeping around your data center and starting to enumerate and understand what's in your data center. And then they create a key for each one of those servers and they stage the malware and they drop the hammer all at once. And the way you know that your data center has been locked up is that your uh, telemetry on your servers shows uh, all kinds of things not happening and all kinds of new things that shouldn't be happening, happening and your data center's down and, where, where I think uh, ransomware is very different than traditional uh, data exfiltration, low and slow attack that we talked about earlier, is traditionally the CISO, or the Chief Information of Security Officer, is the one responsible for creating the defenses, and there's a lot of opportunities for detection and the various phases there. With ransomware, there's not exfiltration, and there's less of what we call command and control, this back and forth between the remote attackers and the uh, assets on your network. And so it's a lot easier to uh, get just to the point where you're installing some malware on it and then detonating it, essentially, because you don't need to be quiet and copy the data, exfiltrate it in a way that is, uh, in in many cases, made difficult by security teams. So what we have here is a shortened, simplified uh, attack cycle or kill chain, and it is designed to get them just to the point where they can detonate the ransomware on your, on your machines. And at that point, they've won. Again, network segmentation is very, very critical. It's sad, but a lot of people, even at very large companies, are still not doing it right. And my focus for the last couple of years now has been mitigating, not just preventing, but mitigating what slips through. It is absolutely okay that one of your laptops, five of your laptops, ten of your laptops, Uh, over the years we'll get infected with some sort of ransomware or other malware. What we don't want to happen is for that initial pivot to be roaming free in an automated fashion or a manual fashion on the data center side where hundreds or thousands of machines are infected. And that becomes a critical business impact where you're just not able to do your job as a company or as a government entity. As we well, it's, it's, it's triage,
1: it, it sounds like. Taking some initial steps ahead of time because it's not a matter of if but when, that at some point someone is going to click, you know, download or install incorrectly. And businesses, you know, keeping up to date on your software, adding the ad blockers, disabling, you know, certain programs, keeping those backups, as we were talking about before the break, it's not just having a backup, it's having a backup that is you know in the safe deposit box, under the mattress, but not connected online. And you're mentioning you know other ways to kind of I'm thinking, I'm envisioning. You know, even in offices or apartment buildings, you have firewalls, and, mm. and not in the technical sense, but uh, in in the technology sense, but in the physical sense of uh, there are d- placed in the design of buildings materials that and a wall that's intentioned when the door is closed the fire shall not pass, you know, or it will slow it down or, you know, this, the ship is sinking. Here's how right. to do that. in Compartments. You know. Exactly. So when you're working with some of your clients, how, how do you have that discussion to explain, here's how to do it right. You're not, you're not there yet.
2: So a lot of the, the things that are being invested in, in terms of the, uh, Venture capital, we've seen hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital uh, for various uh, startups in the last few years focusing on preventing or detecting the latest and greatest kind of zero-day, super-sophisticated nation-state attacks on a given uh, endpoint. And I think that's great that we are supposedly getting better at detecting malware where the initial infection is. But so what I really think we need to be doing is what you mentioned is compartmentalizing and segmenting the network to the point where any given server or or laptop that catches fire, that happens. That is the initial infection, and that's okay. What we don't want to happen is so that you, you have a kind of a LAN or data center wide conflagration just because something failed on one endpoint. And that's what we call that segmentation and segregation. And when you have segmentation segregation on the network, you take, for example, uh, the concept that if uh, Liz and Gal are working in HR, and literally our job is to click resumes from strange people. So it's, it's hilarious So we tell people, a lot of folks in IT and security make fun of end-users who are not uh, as, as technically knowledgeable as us, and we, um, we make fun of them because they click things, don't click things. Well, what if my job is literally to click things from strangers? Why well, isn't exactly. IT and security architecting the network properly and hardening my laptop so that if I do click something that inevitably will be malicious, the impact of that is a lot less than what it is today. And that's my uh, – the, the larger lesson here is you can harden, you can patch, you can lock down all kinds of endpoints and servers and things like that. But the, you know, at the end of the day, you must assume that some of those things will uh, fail, whether because you had to keep some of that open because business needs to be done. It's just not uh, – it's too hard for productivity or the bad guys found a way around it. And usually both those happen.
1: Well, and, and what so- happens it will be kind of one of the keys in where they're going and where they're evolving it. But we're, last commercial break, I uh, hate to do this, but thanks for listening on America's Web Radio.
3: Cook Immigration Partners is your passport <laughs> through the immigration
2: maze. Whether it's help with e verifying in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, Or, if you marry a foreign national,
4: Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200.
2: Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
4: This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love.
0: This is America's Web Radio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web
1: Radio. Listen to us live or find the podcast online. And just really getting back into it. So you were explaining on ransomware and kind of how to proper segmentation is critical for preventing forest fires. Yes. And so what are you... So once you've realized a breach, having that, or and I say breach because... While traditionally, and I've had the discussions with folks where they're saying, no, 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 they haven't actually looked at your data. They've just locked the door mm. between you and your data. Health and Human Services, the federal government yes. has said, no, 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 no. Prove otherwise? It's a breach?
2: Yes. Yeah, so in July 2016, there is a notice from uh, HHS, which owns the uh, HIPAA high-tech compliance through the Office of Civil Rights, they came out with uh, ransomware guidance, uh, and uh, they call it uh, your money or your PHI and a ransomware fact sheet. So in sections four, five, and six of the ransomware fact sheet, and I'll send you an email with a, uh, a link to those so you can post on your website. Excellent. The, Thank uh, you. The ransomware may just want some money, but in the definition of HHS, it is a potential healthcare ePHI breach because essentially you've lost control over that information that is sensitive and regulated. So they have come up with, even if you just got hit with a ransomware and theoretically the ransomware and I that paid is fulfilled by this particular malware. Yeah, That's
1: and I've paid it. I've I yep. moved very quickly and of quietly, of mm-hmm. sure. but not, not so fast, huh?
2: Not, not so easy, and I think a lot of other uh, folks will start uh, catching uh, onto this because uh, folks are who are getting hit with ransomware are saying, "Well, it's not really a confidentiality text; we just don't need to report it." What HHS is saying is that you have to prove uh, four different things in order to determine that there was a quote low probability uh, of uh, actually uh, being accessed in a way that was uh, considered a breach. So the criteria are: one is the nature. And extent of the PHI involved, including the types of identifiers, likelihood of a re-identification, which is I can take a almost anonymized data set that doesn't have a patient name on it explicitly, but I can tie it back to a name. So that's one wrinkle. The unauthorized person who used the PHI or to whom the disclosure was made, which is basically you know this group that created the ransomware uh, or at least rented it from someone and, and launched it against you. Three is whether the PHI was actually acquired or viewed and then for the extent to which the risk to the EPHI has been mitigated. So that's a lot of words that basically, to me, say you must be very well organized and instrumented and and have a lot of logs with which to prove these things. And the the sad part is that ransomware in many cases, and it's getting better, of course, but the typical ransomware victim is not going to be someone on the very high end of the on a defensibility scale. Right? They are, uh, in, in my opinion and from what I've seen, the fact that you got hit with ransomware and it was really bad means that you, chances are, did not have uh, the most sophisticated and effective security program. Uh, th- there are obviously exceptions to that, but the, the point here is that if you got hit with ransomware and you are likely not as well-instrumented and, uh, and uh, effective at uh, being able to prove that the ransomware did or did not do all these things, and so what you have here is a very difficult, to in my mind, bar to get to. Yeah.
1: Well, and it goes back to you know taking some basic steps so that if you know when this happens, that and some of it's not even that complicated. It's just good hygiene, being a, being prepared. You've segmented your network. You've it, up kept everything up to date you have a plan and a response plan in place so that when you get notification you know haha you're locked out you know how to either show or identify whether the data was accessed looked at you have those logs you can go back because that brings up the other thing it's expensive I mean, yes, it,
2: it's not trivial. Uh, the, what I've done in the last couple of three years is try to get to the point where small business can afford these types of tools, and the, the industry has become a lot better at uh, democratizing some of these tools. There's a lot of free open source stuff, but even some of the great commercial stuff, you can get down to the point where even if you're a 50-person company, you can have very, very good um, uh, measures in place. Now, it does take a certain awareness and does take a certain level of technical knowledge that is not commoditized yet. You know, we, we talked about firewalls earlier. From a technical sense, firewalls are typically these days, and traditionally, uh, they function as the internet is on that side and our company is on this side. Now, clearly what we've done through the use of email and software as a service and uh, uh, browsing is we've shot the firewall of Swiss cheese, right? inside the firewall, quote unquote, which is not as useful as it used to be, we have to do, again, that segmentation and the prevention of the lateral movement, uh, what technical people call east-west, whereas north-south is more from the internet to your uh, computers and back out. The east-west stuff is where a lot of people have really neglected uh, or just are not aware of the importance of to mitigate and prevent and uh, create detection opportunities for all malware, including ransomware. So with ransomware, the problem is the detection is not as effective because it's really I have your data, and I'm not even interested in exfiltrating it. I just detonated ransomware, and now I have you. Give give me money, I'll give it back. So, again, all this stuff coming, putting it back together, ransomware is just a different animal. It's, uh, It's different from the point of view of who it affects and what it affects. So the CIO and the CTO were responsible for uptime, and latency and performance and productivity and feature sets, the opposite of what's considered, in many cases, the security people who are always the ones who say no or delay projects that, that are, are giving you more features and a and, uh, uh, productivity, enhancing a type of uh, functionality because they always come with security risks. So the problem is, in 2017 going forward, I believe that ransomware uh, just sawing through people's networks and creating... Productivity hits, service level agreement penalties, and uh, getting right to the kind of the CIO and the CTO uh, and even the CFO's ability to make money or even just perform. Exactly. It slows everything down.
1: It's going to slow it down. There's also some public embarrassment. But I think that's that's decreasing a little bit. I mean, we all – would joke that you know certain intelligence officers would have a breach of their Gmail account. And you know, kidding aside, you should not have discussed national secrets using a Gmail account. Uh, but there is still some reputational harm, some shaming of you know, pay or we you know, you don't get your data. But what about we will release your data if you don't pay? Uh, and uh, some of the costs associated, as you noted before, missing payroll, that when your business is slowed, you're losing productivity, you're losing customers. Does that spark the want revenge? I mean, how if, if the criminals are getting sloppy and there is no honor amongst the, you know, no pride in their work, is it easier to track them down? That's
2: a good question. I, I think it depends on uh, their uh, operational security and their interest in maintaining their anonymity and ability to operate uh, with impunity uh, across borders. Uh, or in some cases, they're sitting in places where they're not uh, extraditable and they have protection from the local government slash mafia. So it, you know that that whole concept is uh, is fluid and changing. There are some uh advances in international cooperation against cyber criminals but um, it's it's not as easy as uh, as we think it is um, in many cases with uh even physical crime
1: you're saying attribution is hard
2: no <laughs> oh even with attribution attribution is, itself is its own uh, uh interesting kind of niche in, in information security but even if you know, uh, if this person sitting at this address, uh, they might be in a place where they're protected by uh, economically and politically powerful people. And so, you know, given that uh, we, we've done as, as, a, as a country, we uh, started with uh, extraordinary rendition in the Clinton years and then it escalated after 9-11 with the Bush administration where we would send people to kidnap folks uh, off the ground in Pakistan, for example. The CIA shooter who shot off the entrance of the CIA fled to Pakistan. And there was a big bounty on his head, and someone ratted him out. And, you know, American agents, uh, various law enforcement and intelligence agencies went out there and grabbed him. And he's sitting in prison now. So, Ooh, exactly. I, I guess, How do you
1: do a bug bounty? Is going to escalate the
2: cybercrime? I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not sure that uh, we're, we're going to get there anytime soon. I'm not sure if that's a good idea. Uh, that's, uh, that's a good discussion. Uh, not really my expertise.
1: <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. And with all of our connected devices, I mean, with the Consumer Electronics Show what, wrapped up recently, and, I mean, the level of a hairbrush... That is now connected yeah. to the internet. Uh, the connected devices. Um, first of all, if you have a connected hairbrush, you deserve to have it uh, subjected to uh, ransomware. Um, there should be an extra charge, I think, for stupidity of connected <laughs> devices. But well, do you see that right? I mean, there was reports, and I. By the time we we're doing the show, I haven't looked into it with some of the medical devices. You know, that's one of the fears of your pacemaker, if you want yes, it to see. Yes. the
2: FTC just came out uh, uh, with, uh, sorry, FDA just came out exactly. with a report about uh, about that. I, I think what we'll, what we'll see is, you know, we've had this kind of explosion in economic activity and um, uh, just pushing out. Uh, an IP, uh, a tcp IP stack on everything, because that hairbrushes, toasters, refrigerators, you name it is all connected in the power grid. We have the smart grid. We put the internet back uh, where it doesn't belong. So there's all kinds of things that are over-connected and under-secured. What I think we'll see on the consumer side is uh, one interesting example is the Federal Trade Commission recently sued D-Link, a uh, kind of um, consumer-grade um or SMB-grade uh, networking equipment company, and they were sued because of lack of security basics in their products. and usually in IoT and other they slowed down my sectors. Netflix. Yeah, so, so what we're seeing is these externalities, uh, it's called where I'm a manufacturer like D-Link, and it takes some time and effort and money and delays in, in production uh, to test and validate and hire people who do security, And in some cases, the consumers are pissed off because they can't just plug it in the wall and it just works. There's some configuration involved and a little barrier to entry to make it work. So it costs support and things like that. They may get ratings that it's hard to use. So that's an externality. Hedulink doesn't pay for the fact that your your router got pwned later. So what the FTC is doing is they're saying, okay, well, we're going to make it a little more expensive to shirk that responsibility uh, by suing them and potentially putting them under some sort of consent decree, similar to what but they try you're, to do with if
1: you're paying, the, it, the, the beauty of the D-Link route uh, and the whole system is that they were cheap if it breaks. Yes. You know, and so it will be fascinating to see, well, okay, if you want this more secure, the cost just tripled. And what
2: do you do? Yeah, I don't know what the cost end up being. It may be $5 more for a $20 device, and now it'll cost $25. So I, I don't know if it'll be necessarily uh, you know, tripling the cost of a D-Link router to uh, or, or an IoT uh, DVR camera to not have it exposed with Telnet. I think Arata Rob uh, uh, had a great uh, a exactly. blog about this a couple months ago. Uh, about how non-trivial it is to force IoT manufacturers to be, quote-unquote, secure, whatever standard we, we put them to. Uh, so it is not easy for some of the factors I've mentioned, and, and, and technical and other economic and, and consumer satisfaction levels. But I, I doubt that baking some of this basic stuff in is going to be tripling the price. Uh, there'll be some uh, absorption of cost there, uh, potentially more or less, uh, who knows? Than what well, the FTC apple is going to cost them.
1: And thanks for joining us. If folks want to follow more of your uh, insights, where can they find you?
2: Uh, best way to find me ranting is on Twitter, uh, just at my last name sponsor, and uh, happy to converse from there.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you to, for for joining the show thank you to everyone for listening and thank you to america's web radio this has been buzz off with lawyer liz catch us next time
4: you're listening to americaswebradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio thank you for listening